Good evening, everybody. This is FPL Teacher speaking, bringing you a timely recommendation on the most highly prized fantasy football asset before Double Game Week 34. This episode will look at three games that Chelsea have played in the last eight days, some of which involving the Champions League, some of them involving the FA Cup. So this is an exclusive analysis based on a combination of eye test and stats. Now, the full graphical and tactical explanations and context will be found on my Patreon, so if, do subscribe if you're interested in knowing the full story. But for now, this episode will be split into three parts, and I will basically do a full recommendation at the end after each of these games are analyzed. Now, the first match and the most chronologically early match involves Chelsea's win against Real Madrid in Spain. So this match was significant and it was picked first because it was the first sign that Chelsea utilised Rhys James, the most highly prized Chelsea asset at right centre-back, which basically negates his offensive threat. Now, this in turn created effects further up the field where Marcus Alonso now on the left wing-back slot, previously maligned, is now the furthest forward player per se yeah period so what we noticed here is that Alonso would work would work with Timo Werner and Mason Mount the three of them would link up on the left to create chances for themselves mainly through Mason Mount picking his spot now against Real Madrid the game was a little bit more complex because Chelsea didn't dominate the ball the whole way and obviously due to, due to Real Madrid's um, team quality. So in that sense, Chelsea needed an extra central midfielder to create the difference. And that player, featured heavily later in their future games, would be Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Now, previously a fringe player, Loftus-Cheek Loftus would basically enable Mount, Harvard, Werner and Alonso to basically link up in the attacking third and this bore fruit almost immediately for their first and third goals you will notice that Ruben Loftus-Cheek would take up the number 10 position in between Real Madrid lines and no one would know who to pick him up and this in turn drew out Real Madrid's centre-backs and so Chelsea's forwards took advantage now what is really important here is number one that Reese James played an extremely Discipline role at right centre back. So even though he had oceans of space ahead of him, Ruben Loftus Cheek was supposed to be ahead of him, but he vacated that space. And so Reese James basically left the entire right flank to Kai Havertz. Um, he also had a right wing back, Aspiliqueta, in front of him, but that was inconsequential in this match. Now, what was also important to understand here is that Mason Mount, previously one of the three forwards, now acted as a free-roaming number 10. So this would be a feature that we will talk about later for their next two matches. But for now, Mason Mount basically acted as a second striker behind Werner or Harvest, depending who was playing centrally. And so Mount had the biggest threat of the night due to the fact that Werner and Harvest were both extremely wide positionally. And so Mount would fill into that space the moment he noticed that he could potentially get the ball. So 
the idea here, the picture that I'm trying to paint here is that Chelsea have most of their players on the left side against Real Madrid. So if you split the pitch into five, you would notice that on the left half space between centre-back and full-back, you would have Werner and Alonso and Mason Mount all linking up with Ruben Loftus-Cheek somewhere in close proximity. So they would link up there and Mason Mount would be the one breaking beyond the Real Madrid backline to take advantage of whatever they did. So that was the summary of the Chelsea-Real Madrid game. Now, without going into too much detail, what really enabled this entire game plan to work was the fact that Chelsea had to play Jorginho and Kovacic and Rubens and Loftus-Cheek all in midfield. So um, this is important to note because later on, all three midfielders would not feature in the other two games against Crystal Palace as well as Arsenal. So we will talk about these effects in the next segment. Chelsea to Crystal Palace nil. Now, as usual, Chelsea set up in their three at the back formation, so they completely ditched their four-man defense. And so right now, Reese James remained right center back. Whereas in midfield, instead of having Jorginho and Kovacic, he played Kante and Kovacic instead. And what happened was that Kovacic picked up an injury midway through the first half. But more on that later. For now, what's important to understand is that their three-man defense remained while Reese James played right center back. So crucially here is that the front left side, those pl players that I mentioned earlier, Mount, Werner, Alonso, they remain. They kept their spots and they were playing up front with Kai Havertz hanging out on the right side. But now Kai Havertz was joined by right wing back Aspili Cueta. So what's, what we saw here was that Chelsea now playing against more inferior opposition, still saw that same link-up play occur, but this time it didn't occur in the half space. So Real Madrid offered them that space centrally, somewhere close to goal. But for Palace, they elected to stay compact centrally. So instead, Alonso, Werner and Mason Mount would dictate play from deeper positions, somewhere close to the byline. So if you imagined the penalty area, you go wider, and you go further back. Yeah, so, you know, you can imagine that the pitch is divided into multiple squares, right, according to the grass cut, and you would see the different gradients of grass. So, you can imagine that outside the penalty box, count two squares left, two squares towards the flank, and three to four squares backwards. So, Mount, Werner, and Alonso would basically start their plays over there, work towards the byline and at that point basically Marcos Alonso would make a beeline towards the penalty box and wait for the ball there. So that was the majority of their play and it didn't work for the most part because Palace basically locked them up really well and Palace basically filtered them and kept them to that flank for about an hour before Mason Mount himself pulled out to the right side and his cross basically was cleared and this was where Ruben Loftus-Cheek 
came in and slammed home the opener. So, having said that, these features, even though they didn't work effectively against Palace as they did against Real Madrid, it was still really encouraging to see that they tried. They really, really tried. And they started from very similar positions. And more importantly, when Chelsea took the lead, these features became even more heavily prominent. So, what's good to see is that we also noticed that when this sequence of play happened on the left, Kai Havertz was always an option centrally, while Aspiliqueta, the right wing back, was basically sitting on the penalty spot, kind of how Johnny does it for Wolves. And this was great because we will see later against Arsenal that Aspiliqueta's role will be extremely important for that game. Now, so the cliff notes here are that Mason Mount turns playmaker instead of goal scorer against Real Madrid. So Mason Mount initially tried crossing a lot from deep and then when things got tough at 0-0 still, he drove to the byline himself. He took charge. And it was his energy that basically created the opener while every other player, Alonso, Werner, Aspilicueta, Havertz, they basically kept things the same. And they really relied on Mason Mount to make things happen. Okay, so in all of this, I did not mention Reese James at all because Reese James really took a chill pill in this game and he just sat back at right center back the whole time. So really there was nothing of note from the 6.2 million defender. All right, so all that being said, I'm going to move on to the last and most significant game that happened 24 hours earlier. So there we go. Chelsea, Arsenal. Chelsea 2, Arsenal 4. This game, wow, this game. Okay, so there are a lot of things to talk about here and it's going to be extremely difficult to cram in the five minutes. But the long story short analysis is that a lot of websites analyzed the game based on touch maps, average player positions, and they would think that Arsenal defended in a 4-2-3-1 against Chelsea's 3-5-2. But the reality here is that Mikel Arteta did something extremely clever and he turned his 4-2-3-1 on paper into its own 3-4-3. So Arsenal took the game to Chelsea and attempted to play aggressively against Chelsea's centre-backs, against Chelsea's wing-backs, and they really attempted to match Chelsea's formation man-for-man. So I've mentioned in previous episodes before that when you have a three-man defence lineup against another three-man defence, more often than not, you get two teams cancelling each other out. Um, unfortunately, this didn't happen here because the pressing strategies actually worked really well. So the concept here is that usually you would have three centre-backs playing against two forwards, whereas up front, you would have two forwards that will fail to press against three centre-backs. Whereas in midfield, every midfielder would be matched man for man. So in midfield, what happened here was that Granit Zaka would square up to N'Golo Kante on the right side, whereas Arsenal's other central midfielder, 
oh sorry no not uh, it was Martin Odegaard yes he would push up to either one of the Chelsea centre backs or he would hang back and stay on Matteo Kovacic or Ruben Loftus-Cheek now Mohamed Elneny's position was the most significant here because his job was to follow Chelsea's most important player Mason Mount all over the pitch so when Mason Mount dropped deep Elneny pushed forward so this basically nullified Mason Mount's threat throughout the Arsenal game and crucially here Bukayo Saka was basically free to take on Marcos Alonso on his flank throughout the game this didn't bear fruit initially but what happened was that when Saka worked together with Odegaard and Smith Rowe to press Chelsea's three centre-backs that was when the errors showed up and that was basically how Arsenal took the lead consistently through two different defensive errors now um, this is definitely full credit to Arsenal because they could use their three forwards to press Chelsea's five-man defence really intelligently and at the same time what you notice too was that because Arsenal committed to a 3-4-3 they had three centre-backs left behind against Chelsea's two forwards okay so this didn't help the f- with the fact that Chelsea didn't play their strongest lineup. So instead of having Thiago Silva, Andres Christensen played. Instead of Rudiger, you had Malang Saar at left back. So this helped Arsenal's forwards press Chelsea's centre backs down. And at the same time, um, Chelsea didn't play their two strongest forwards either. Uh, Kai Havertz was rested, so Romelu Lukaku played. And this basically meant that Chelsea's entire right side became extremely dysfunctional and so Chelsea relied on their left flank. If we measure Chelsea's chance creation by X-thread, we would see that the highest X-thread, as quoted by 12Football, would come from the left half space where Werner, Alonso and sometimes Mount would operate. Or, albeit, you know, a very, very small amount. But still, the highest percentage happened there. Okay, so, you know, full credit goes to Arsenal for nullifying Chelsea. And the most important observation here was that on 60 minutes, when Kai Havertz came on, something really encouraging happened. So, instead of having James at right centre-back and Aspilicueta at right wing-back, what happens was, was that both their roles reversed. So, Aspilicueta, being as flexible as he is, shifted to right centre-back while Rhys James became right wing-back. Now, this is exactly what we want for FPL because what happened was that Rhys James was now down the flank, Aspilicueta was in the half-space behind him, and he attracted the likes of Timo Werner and Mason Mount that drifted all the way from left to right so that Marcus Alonso was left alone. And in between the 60th and the 70th minute, Chelsea dominated that right flank in terms of possession so heavily that they created cross after cross. (laughs) So if you want to buy Marcus Alonso, that's actually a really good sign because when James and Mount dominated that right flank, hit the byline, played in crosses, the biggest benefactor was Marcus Alonso. I believe he had two chances that had significant XG off that 10 minute spell so I'm going to verify that now. So what it says here was that 
Yeah, there we go. Marcus Alonso had a 0.10 XG of that 62-minute mark, and then he had another 0.29 XG shots on the 65th, all coming from the right side. So, really, um, you know, good good times are coming for Chelsea again, even though they lost here, especially since in their next five games, none of the teams play in a similar way to Arsenal with three at the back, bar Leeds, that happens in five days. Okay, so those are all the observations, and now we move on to the conclusion. In conclusion, Chelsea now are reverting to a three-man defence, but with Rhys James at right centre-back. Now, this brings forth two key benefactors, one Timo Werner, the other Marcos Alonso, both playing on the left flank. They link well and they will serve as differentials moving on to this double game week. How long it lasts, we do not know. But for now, it brings out the potential, crucially, of Mason Mount. So, in my humble opinion, Mason Mount is absolutely essential if you are picking somebody up for this double game week. Whereas, if you have Reese James, he is definitely worth keeping. If you're interested in Aspiliqueta, he's an extremely, extremely short-term pick. Because even though he scored against Arsenal, there's a very good chance that he would switch places with Rhys James when James is fit again. Um, if you're interested in buying Alonso because you're trying to upgrade a Spurs defender, by all means, do it while Marcus Alonso is taking up all these extremely advanced positions in the box. And of course, Timo Werner, yeah, I mean... Due to the lack of options up front, if you're willing to downgrade Kane into Werner so that you can spread the funds elsewhere in the squad, do it. If you're on a wild card, do it. And that is all. We will see you next week for more insights.